Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation Point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a Cancer Diagnosis, Adaptogens for Long Life, and Abundantly Well Companion Course wisewomanschool.com You can also just go to her website susanweed.com where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you and welcome Susan. Thank you Justine and welcome Rebecca. Hi, Susan. How are you this evening? Doing well. We uh, did not get very much snow. It turned to rain. It's gotten warm again. 
Somebody called me up and said, do you know that it's colder where you live than it is in Antarctica? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So that was pretty funny. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're uploading the last of the videos from Costa Rica for the Treasures of the Tropics course. We made over 300 videos in Costa Rica. Wow, that's impressive. Wow. Yeah, and so now they are being sorted into the appropriate groups to make it uh, make sense to you. And I said to Justine, I said, you know, thinking about it in the week since we've done it, I'm not sure that I really left the listener or the viewer in any place of clarity about how do you choose what pineapple to buy? How do you choose what banana to buy? How do you choose what coffee to buy? I said, so let's go to a supermarket and talk about what you do when you're back home. Because the whole premise of Treasures of the Tropics is, yes, eat locally, use local herbs, but let's face it, we don't always do that. I love chocolate. Chocolate grows in the tropics. Many people love coffee. Coffee grows in the tro- in the tropics, right? I would not turn my nose up at a beautiful ripe piece of pineapple. Grows in the tropics. Bananas on everybody's breakfast table grows in the tropics, right? Cocoa nut, we love it. Grows in the tropics. So we want to buy these tropical resources. How do we make sure that that we're getting what we want? Because there are lots of stories going around. And, and Justine said, like what? I said, well, I read this thing that in Africa, young children are sent out to pick the coffee and they don't get paid. She said, well, that may be that they don't get paid, but I bet they get food and lodging. She said, and you know, many of them are AIDS orphans, and so to have food and lodging is one step up for them. They don't even really need to be paid for their work. But you know, to us, we would think, whoa, they're not getting paid for their work. You know, and other things. So what do we do? So we went to a supermarket and we live streamed a YouTube. We can encourage fair trade, though. <laughs> that is that yeah. is what I did, but but I'm sure you know that there are huge problems with fair trade. I mean, there's huge problems, yeah. I mean, it's not huge regulated As a matter of fact, I will tell you that the majority of the small farms we went to don't have the money to buy into fair trade. Yeah, and, and it's, it's the not same more, with organic. It's not like it's one organization. There's, you know, we're talking sixty different countries, and hundreds of fair trade organizations. Mm-hmm. So we also talked about direct trade, and direct trade is the next step from fair trade. In fair trade, you believe that some kind of um, investigative body has investigated the farm and is seeing to it that the workers and the farmers are all getting a fair share. In fact, when you actually look at it, in many instances, the cost to the farmer is more than what the farmer gets through the fair trade practice because you have to buy your fair trade simple. And you have to renew it every year. I'm sure you've Talk to people in the United States who have organic farms and aren't buying an organic license, right? Yeah. I mean, I worked on organic. For the same reason. Some of them. There were numerous people at organic farms in Costa Rica who said to us, yeah, and if you get the organic designation, they come out one day a year to see if you're organic. Mm -hmm. They said it's a joke. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So direct trade, the idea of direct trade is that the manufacturer is directly trading with the farmers and is, in a way, making it so that it becomes local for you because they are being um, the one in the place wherever it is, Africa, Costa Rica, right? South America, where the farmers are, and then getting back to you and saying, um, we directly traded with them, and so we can tell you they got a good price. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, of course, it, you know, indicates why it is that I'm so much in favor of local. Because it's very hard to know, and there we were in the pineapples. And at Golden Pineapple, we said, wow, you have such great growing practices. They're not certified organic. They use some chemicals, but they do their best to use what they call green line chemicals, which, you know, Dole uses red line. And he said, well, how can we get your chemicals, your pineapples, low chemicals, instead of Dole's? And they said, oh, everybody has to sell their their pineapples to Dole. When you go and buy your pineapple, it's going to say Dole on it. And sure enough, there we were in the store and it says, pineapples from Costa Rica, buy Dole. Mhm. Sorry, those the ones you buy. You have no choice. You want a pineapple, you're going to buy a Dole pineapple, and you have no idea whether it came from Golden Pineapple with good practices, or from Dole itself. And the word is, and I have not done any investigation. It might be untrue, but the word is that the chemicals that Dole uses are causing birth defects in their workers' children. Mm-hmm. So it's it's uh, hard to know. So we yeah were in the store and we talked about you know what you can do and what uh, how you can know and especially if you don't want to move to the tropics but you do want to enjoy some tropical things. So mm-hmm. that was fun and then we came home and we did a live stream YouTube on um, here's how to rest more easily knowing that the coronavirus is in the world. And we talked about that a little bit last week, of course, as the death toll in China rises higher and higher. About 400 one day, 550 the next day, 700 by that evening, 800 the next day. It, it, gets, it scares people, and rightly so. No one in the U.S. has died, mm-hmm. although there's cases in the U.S., but Every case in the U.S. is someone who was in that area of China. Yes. Yeah, those videos, I saw some videos of the facilities there of um, some of the people. And, yeah, uh, somebody had just randomly mailed or uh, messaged me on Facebook with it. And I hadn't planned on watching any of that, but then uh, saw it. And it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty disturbing to see. Full facilities with the 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 workers, the the medical staff also is infected um, in the in this specific place, and yeah, people just like lying on the ground and totally struggling, and um, but yeah, uh, it seems like they're they're doing their best to you know keep it in those areas. Yeah, Justine and I watched yeah. a couple of of um, YouTube's on coronaviruses in general the really mm-hmm. pretty virus and they stick onto lung cells they get into lung cells 
So, of course, one mm-hmm. of the things we want to do if we're concerned is to use herbs that strengthen and promote the health of the lungs, like mullein. Yeah, I was referring some people to your um, that SARS article that you had written. Yeah. Yeah. Death toll is, is that, now greater from this coronavirus than from SARS. Yeah, yeah. So it was interesting also to watch. You know, at first the UN Health Organization was saying, well, no, it's not a worldwide emergency. And then like within 36 hours they had to say, yep, it's a worldwide health emergency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's scary. It's scary to think that you could get infected and um, it could spread, you know, like into into our communities. So. And again, even though there's hundreds of people dead in China, there's tens of thousands who have gotten this virus. Mm-hmm. So we're not talking Ebola here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're not talking you get it and you die. The vast majority of people get it and recover. Mm-hmm. And yeah, do you know about the one the American who died, and like I believe a... she died in China, had several issues with her health. Her health was compromised. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Is that the people that are dying probably have compromised? I mean, but a lot of people in the U.S. have compromised systems as well. So don't go to China. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, we have. <laughs> Well, I live in a university town, and there were a lot of people that had traveled over the holidays over to because we have a, a large Asian population at the university here, and so oh, people were wow. really uh, on on alert. But nobody there was there were a couple people that had gone in that were you know like thought that they may have the symptoms, and they didn't actually um, keep them there at the hospital, and so like people were like throwing like a big fit about that, that they're not being cautious enough, but it turns out that those people just had the flu and it wasn't the coronavirus. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. We have um, one of my <laughs> favorite people really in the scary. world tonight as a guest, Lisa Lavart. And mm-hmm. I have been following Lisa's work for decades. She has been creating photographic portraits and multimedia installations of women embodying poetic myths and especially the goddess for over 20 years. A monograph of her work, Goddess on Earth, Portraits of the Divine Feminine, won a Gold Nautilus Book Award and was named one of the 100 Best Women's Spirituality Books in 2018. And she's going to be here to talk to us about the work she's done and the new work she's doing. I was with her at Goddess Spirit Rising in Simi Valley, California, last September and got to see um, a short film taken by her husband, created by her husband, of the work that she's doing going to um, Native American populations um, in the areas where she lives and asking them, you know, who are the mythic women? You know, who are the goddesses of your culture? And uh, uh, many of them are looking at her and going, huh, what? And the the movie showed her working with the women of these cultures to go back and to find 
who's their strong, powerful female archetypes are. It's stunning work. Mm. And then she takes yeah, and they become that, right? And she takes their photograph. It's just mm. the most, uh, um, you know, her work has always, always moved me greatly. And, so empowering, uh, and didn't it's so wonderful you... to see her maturing and and uh, understanding more of what it is that she wants to do. And did you contribute uh, Baba Yaga to the God, the Goddess on Earth series that I you did? I did indeed. Lisa came to me. Um, she had been working on Goddess on Earth um, for a while, and she showed me the portfolio and asked me. Um, if I had any feedback for her. And my feedback uh, was pretty simple. The goddess is not uh, always smiling and with flowers in her hair. Yeah. And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, let's go take a picture of Baba Yaga and you'll see what I mean. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we did. We went mm-hmm. out in the woods. I called forth a Baba Yaga. And we took her picture, and it's in Goddess on Earth. Yeah, I love the I love the fierce feminine and the you know the the older woman's crone uh, goddesses, of course, too. And yeah, 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 because the other ones are so much overrepresented, especially like in social media and stuff. <laughs> like, <laughs> hey, like, come on, ladies. The goddess can be beautiful, and she can have, you know, flowers in her hair. That's that's a great part, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We also want to remind ourselves that um, the goddess is Kali, and the goddess is Durga, and the goddess is Baba Yaga, and uh, the goddess can scare the wits out of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I've been having some, like, fierce protector kind of goddess energy coming through with, like, this, like, very, like, wolf-like energy that's, like, you know, it's, like, whole, you know, like, just, like, a total earth warrior protector goddess and kind of been, like, keeping that in my mind's eye. (laughs) Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, (laughs) that's at 9 o'clock my time, about an Mm -hmm. hour and 15 minutes from now. So stay with us or come back and enjoy Lisa LaVart. All right. And we have people with their hands raised. If you have a question for Susan, make sure to press 1, and we will go to our first caller in the 845-688 number. Hi, Susan. Hello, ladies. Thank you so much. Um, Susan, this is the person that had the, opera- the hysterectomy a couple of weeks ago, the one with the teratomas that I was a shrinking. And I have a couple of questions for you. My recovery is going pretty great, although I can't stop pooping, which is not a complaint because that means things are working. But I wanted to say to you, and I ha- I'm going to say this with a lot of shame, because I've been taking, uh, I've been drinking my nourishing herbal infusions. For more than a year now, and I, when I don't have them, or if I screw up and forget to make them, I, 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 you know, I just go crazy and have to have them and do the four-hour thing. But I have not. I, I keep making. Well, I only have linden and red clover right now. I'm waiting for the others. But 
I just don't have the desire for them. And I'm just wondering if you could speak to that a little bit. I just can't finish it or... I, like I actually gave my linden to the plants the other day because I couldn't drink any of it. And um, should I force myself a little bit to do it or drink half? Any thoughts? Here's my understanding. Surgery uses anesthesia. And anesthesia uses up the minerals in your body. Mm-hmm. And when you don't have enough minerals in your body, Often what happens is you crave sweets. Uh-huh. Have you been noticing that you have a greater taste for sweets? I've noticed, I've tried to curb it, but I've noticed that I can taste sweets more than I can taste savory yes. better. Yes. So what I usually suggest at this juncture is to sweeten your infusion. Oh, how brilliant. Of course. Put some honey in it. Heat up that red clover. Heat up that linden. Put some honey in it. You will suddenly find that you can't get enough of it. I really miss it. I know I don't have that charge, that good feeling. I mean, of course, I'm still kind of recovering, but... Yes, yes, um, of course. I, I, I feel like I, I feel ashamed to spill it out. I, oh, <laughs> anyway. don't be ashamed. We're all human yeah. beings. The plants love it, though, I guess, so it's okay. Of course. Of course the plants do. And and it's we're not the same every day. We change and things happen and you've been through a, a lot of difficulty. And it may also be in some way that you, although you like the infusions and they feel good, that you think of it as, you know, doing something good for yourself and that there might be a part of you that's saying, kick over the traces. Don't do good things for yourself. Just you know, kick back. You've gone through a whole lot now. Just indulge yourself. And I and lost a lot of weight, so I'm just constantly eating, thank God. So and, right, and that's part of what getting that honey in there does. It also says, oh, sweetie, here we're going to indulge you. Ah, uh, okay. Brilliant. I, and I have honey and maple syrup. I could have easily done this. Okay, great. May, may All I right. one more? question. I sure. feel like I've decided to, well, after I got the, the pathology, when I went over it with him yesterday, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I still have another week to have a consult with an oncologist. So um, the jury's not completely out, but I think I'm going to go ahead and at least do the first two. Um, allegedly, it's only two chemos, three weeks apart, like one and then three weeks and then another one. And I think I'm going to do that. Is there a way, is there an herb or, uh, and I am taking the Paul Stamets mushroom mix tincture. Great, great. The mushrooms are good. Any adaptogenic herb can be very useful in breast cancer, breast health, the wise woman way. I actually go through the chemotherapeutic agents one by one and suggest herbs that will help um, ameliorate their side effects. Okay. And you might want to um, look into what the differences are. It's rare that there's a specific chemotherapy for a cancer. Usually you can say, oh, you know, I don't want this one. For instance, I had an artist friend and he looked, you know, he looked into the chemotherapies and he said, this one and this one, 
can leave you with a trim, trimmer in your hand, and I can't do that. I'm an artist, so we can't use those. No. And, one of and those were the ones that they were recommending for him, and he said, no, we're going to have to choose some others. Oh, that, thank you. That That's my next research, because one of them had platinum in it, and the surgeon said, oh, you know, this one is very, the first one, I'm, I can't remember right now, he said, oh, it's made out of this, and that's very natural, and the second one has platinum in it, and that's that's naturally occurring. I said, that's a metal, you know, I, I I I I got got me a little just something you know it's so funny it was sort of instinctual I was like whoa no no I can't do that one so also usually and I you know again check it out when they say one chemotherapy what they mean is one round of chemotherapy which can go on for three to seven days. Oh I see yeah I, well he said it was one day but he's not the guy that's doing it so. Check it I'll out. Find, I'll find that out immediately, if not sooner. Find that out. So your cancer is metastasized? No, it's not. And and I am having trouble reading this report. It basically was in different places. It was on the backside of my bladder, and they took that. And he explained to me that a teratoma actually almost is like Crisco, where when it gets cold, it hardens up. And when it gets warm, it's sort of like it's fluffy. And and it's interesting because the only thing I think I might have told you back when, the only thing that would make me feel better, the, I took like five baths a day because that would be the only thing that would kind of alleviate the pressure down there. And so I just wonder if it was just liquidating my Crisco. But they had to take out part of my sigmoid colon because it was, they're calling it stage two because the squamous cell cancer moved to that part and he claims he got all of that but there was some in my omentum and I hope I'm pronouncing that right Right. and they took that and there was none in my lymph nodes because they took eight lymph nodes just to um just to 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 see so Mm -hmm. I don't know I mean I got a little nervous because he said you tell me what the purpose of the chemotherapy is then I guess my understanding, and I didn't ask him because I was actually a little freaked out, to tell you the truth. Um, My understanding was to try to eliminate any that's left over. He said he got it all. He thinks he got it all. He says he can't be sure. He thinks he got it all. So let me see if I can put this in maybe somewhat other terms. You are about to make an investment in something that will impair your life for the rest of your life. The side effects of chemotherapy go on for the rest of your life in an attempt to get rid of something that you don't know is there. Right. And that is something I need to think about some more then because that's putting it like that makes it a little bit different in my mind. And... It's taking the power out of their hands, which I don't feel like I give up my power that quickly, but yet I don't know this world. So I have to get your book and just and, 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 and read a little more there. And do You know, honestly, Susan, you think I'm being lazy that I haven't researched this No, so I don't, far. not at all. You know, my, my book, Breast Cancer Question Mark, Breast Health Exclamation Point, came out a long time ago. And... Mm-hmm. People say to me, don't you think you should revise it? It's like really old. And I say, you know what? 
medicine is just catching up to me because in that book, I said the vast majority of women who have breast cancer are not going to benefit from chemotherapy. Huh. And that's now the... That is now the modern take on it that 70% of women who are diagnosed with breast cancer do not benefit from chemotherapy. That has been the standard of care. Huh. You remove the cancer, then you do chemotherapy to get rid of any cells that might be left. In 70% of women, it causes damage with no benefit. Oh, brother. Okay. Okay. And what I said, because I didn't have that statistic then, that study hadn't been done then, what I said was there is no difference in longevity between women who choose chemotherapy and women who do not. Hmm. And that might be something to ask, too. If I choose not to have chemotherapy, will it make a difference to my longevity? Well, I did ask, I said, what if I didn't treat right now because I didn't want to do it quickly because I'm still weak and I'm still 15 pounds under my optimal weight and I said you know he said well you're only going for a consult next week but if it were up to me I would start you next week and I said but I'm not strong enough he says you're never going to be strong enough in the next six weeks you it's going to take you a while to regain your strength and if you don't do it you're going to end up right back here on the edge of that cliff which I was on the edge of the cliff let's face facts um he you know. knows he's a fortune teller. He knows that for sure. He can yeah, and you know what? You're going to wind up right back here? That's threatening. Would you buy something in a store if the sales clerk threatened you? You know, that was threatening. You're right. And when you're in a vulnerable position, you don't see it that way. You just see someone trying to help you, I guess. But I knew you'd you'd shine some light on this for me, and thank you again for speaking to me about it. I'm not saying they're not trying to help. I'm saying the ways they have to help are extremely limited. And hostile, in a way, you know? I mean, that that is... Once once we move into deep medicine, we must understand that our health is no longer important to the medical practitioner. What did he say? Of course you're too weak for this chemotherapy, but it will be too long for you to get strong enough to withstand it. So we're gonna, I would do it to you now, no matter how much it damages your health. Mm. Would you? Is this a doctor who's asking your opinion? What do you think? What do you feel? I don't hear any of that. No. I don't hear that either. It's hard for us to believe, but each one of us knows more about our own body and our own health than any doctor. There's no way that 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 doctor can know as much about you as you know about you. I feel like I I knew that at some point, but this kind of shook my, my confidence. I really understand that. And how wonderful that that they were available to do the surgery and to do the test. But remember that you do not, you are not required to buy their story. 
thank you for this surgery. This has given me a real leg up. I'm going to take it from here. Don't think I'm not treating myself. Don't think I'm just going to go home and put my head in the sand because that's not me. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go home and I'm going to make absolutely certain that I am not back here as you are predicting. Right. Am I misstating? That's more empowering than saying if you don't get back here, you're going to go jump off the cliff or whatever he said. Right, right. And and I already feel, I mean, I, I'm very grateful to this man for his skill because I already, I mean, yes, I'm having trouble pooping sometimes and it's, I get up a lot during the night, but I still feel better than I did for the past three months. You know, I mean, I got an ugly scar on my belly, but it doesn't hurt, and and at least I can urinate and poop, and 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 I know that sounds kind of silly, but it I was in a lot of pain before. Oh, those are basic bodily functions that we all want to be able to have. Come on. Right. No, I remember my grandmother used to say, "Thank God I could poop today," and we used to laugh. Now I get it. Now you get it. That's right. Don't take your poop for granted. Never. 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 Susan, would it be, you think, Again, okay? Again, this individual been... decision for you. And we all fall in a different place along that I'm willing to take a risk to I'm not willing to take any risk at all spectrum. And the doctor represents the not willing to take any risk at all with the cancer, but it doesn't matter how your health is. And what I'm suggesting is I think you're at a different place on this scale. I don't think that you would benefit from the most conservative treatment. Right. And, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you would. Maybe you, maybe you would just not be able to live with yourself if you didn't do it. But what I'm hearing from you is I don't feel strong enough. I want to be stronger. I really haven't thought about this enough. I don't have enough energy to do the research. And these are yeah. all very valid things you're saying. I mean, it's coming back, but I didn't have energy to be even attentive to a TV. You know, I was trying to watch videos, and I couldn't even do that. So, But it's coming back, and I'm going to make it my business to to, to read up and, and see what I can I can get. Yes. What I, what I can understand. And get quiet, too. I, I started to go back to the monastery. They're letting me sit in a place where if I have to go poop, I can get up and I'm not disturbing anybody. So that's that's been important to, to renew that practice. That is wonderful. I'm so glad to hear that. Susan, thank you always for so much. And I'm sorry this I'm always asking you these long, drawn-out questions, but I really am indebted. No apology needed. We thank all appreciate hearing from you on a regular basis because we're interested in your story. We're interested in what's happening. Well, thank you. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings to you. Thank you again. All right. We're going to the next 845 number. 667 is the prefix. Yes. Hi. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. Well, that that was a really powerful call. I love the idea of ownership of one's body, no matter what, under all circumstances. That's so that's so deep. And true, we do own our own bodies, don't we? 
Yeah, we have the power to heal and also the power to destroy. <laughs> That's kind of what I'm calling about today. Well, you know, Ryan Drums says, you know, no one can be a vegan. We're all obligate carnivores because the lining of our digestive system from our mouth right on through to the other end um, dissolves in, into us every 24 hours. So we literally are eating our own flesh. Macrophage, I believe. Is that it? Macrophages are white cells. What we're talking about is the mucus surface of the of the digestive system, which dies every 24 hours and is totally replaced. Wow. Not all uh, at yeah. once, but, you know, cell by cell over a period of 24 hours, they're dying, they're, you know, falling into your mouth and other parts of your digestive system, and you are consuming your own self. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's or as he puts it, you're an bad. obligate carnivore. You are obliged to be a carnivore. There's no escaping it. Well, the next time someone knocks me for being a carnivore, I will tell them that and get the upper hand in the in the conversation. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, somebody somebody did a great great job of um, looking at what it takes to produce an avocado. And it's far more damaging to the planet to eat an avocado than it is to eat steak. Hmm. Well, never thought of that before, but okay. Okay. <laughs> so your question tonight. Um, yeah, going into the deep dramatic places. Um, lately, I would say over the last year or so, I've just had this weird, disturbing form of self-harm that I'm doing where um, I'm somatizing my negative issues in my breast area. And I'm sure I'm not the first person who has ever done this. But um, lately, a lot of, I guess I'm having a midlife crisis. I'm 52 years old. And lately, I've been thinking about reproduction and having kids, and undoubtedly, I'm sure it's too late to do this naturally. But for some reason, I never thought about it before all my life. I just figured, well, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't, whatever. And now I'm at this age where I'm really past it, and I have found that I'm starting to psychologically attack myself in the breast area. So I'm getting, like, these red splotches and spider veins. And it's really bizarre because it's like, you know, there's a kind of self-harm that you do where you get it out of your system and you're kind of done. And here I feel like I can't stop. And not only is it because of the reproductive issue, but it's just any I, negative issue. That I apologize I for being on. very dense, but I haven't heard anything about self-harm yet. <laughs> I mean, somehow I'm somatizing this, and it seems like self-harm. It seems like a form of self-harm, but I just can't stop doing it. Like it's almost what like self harm are you breath. doing? I'm just going are crazy. Are you cutting your breath? Are you burning your breath? No, it's all psychological. I think the only self harm you're doing is telling yourself that you're doing self harm. Oh, okay. let me put it to you this way: I spend a lot of time in nature, and I have yet to see any thing in nature that harms itself. In fact, I do not think it's possible. 
I know there are situations in which women especially, girls especially, are feeling so trapped that the escape is to cut yourself. Mm-hmm. The intention is not harm. An animal caught in a trap will gnaw off its leg. The intention is not harm. Okay. Yeah. I see what you're going. That's not the intention. Something else is the intention, like like liberation from this oppressive thought or something, some other thing. Right. You're not trying to hurt yourself. Except your mind is trying to hurt you by saying, oh, look at this, you know. This is, you are somehow creating this. Oh, if only, you know, we could create anything we wanted in our bodies. Wouldn't we all be just beautiful and perfect and full of, you know, health? But, uh, you know, most of us have the uncomfortable discovery that we can't, with our mind, create what we want in our body. That our mind can help. But it's not in charge. Yeah, it's it's really what, something. What do fifty? What do most fifty-three-year-old women do about children? They have grandchildren. What's that? It's absolutely right for a fifty-three-year-old woman to want to take care of children, but those children, usually at fifty-three, are called grandchildren. It's not even Since you that, don't have children, even... you can't have grandchildren. However, I am sure that you are aware, that we are all aware, that there are a significant number of children who don't have parents or grandparents. And that you can volunteer at places where you can read to these children, play with these children, spend quality time with these children. And really feel into what it is that you're longing for. I mean, I'm not entirely sure that this is a need to parent. What this is an actually, an, it's an anger at biology for cutting me off and making a decision for me. It's infuriating. Like, I want to not have a biological clock. I know it sounds crazy, but it, this isn't even necessarily about wanting children. This is about how dare nature cut me off and make this decision and limit me. It's infuriating to me. The hormone that causes ovulation is to breast cancer as kerosene is to fire. It's produced for about 36 hours each month and even as short a break as three months of not ovulating makes a significant downturn in your risk of breast cancer. So if nature did not cut you off and allowed you to keep on ovulating, you would die of breast cancer pretty darn fast. Okay. So it's not like what you're imagining that you could just go on, you know, menstruating and, you know, ovulating and doing that for the rest of your life. Yeah, the cancer risk would be too great. I see what you're saying. That's exactly what's happening. And 
understandably, we live in a culture that denigrates old women, but there are lots of old women out there being vivacious and wonderful. Do you have what I call a butterfly collection? A butterfly collection is pictures of women at least 10 years older than you that you would like to grow up to be. (laughs) One of the butterflies on my wall is a woman who just jumped out of an airplane with a parachute to celebrate her 90th birthday. She said, I'd never done it before, and I thought, maybe maybe I better do it before I get too old. Oh, that's amazing. Another woman on my wall is a woman who at 86 has just gotten the world crown for weightlifting. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think I know who that is. There's no women I want to grow up to be. And right next to them is a group picture of women 70 and above who do majorette dance routines in the most kick-ass costumes. Guess what I do that's ridiculously inappropriate for my age. (laughs) There is nothing ridiculously inappropriate for any age. (laughs) I play guitar. I'm a rock star. That's what I want to be. That's what I'm going to be. Yes. Yes. So what I'm encouraging you to do is to check it out. Do you really want to be with kids? Go volunteer for a while. The nice thing about volunteering is you can unvolunteer. Once you have a kid, you never get to unvolunteer. <laughs> I know. That's why I never had the guts to do it. <laughs> volunteer and see. Maybe you do want to be around kids, you know? Maybe you don't. Right? Keep playing your guitar. Play your guitar for the kids. And, you know, we call it the ABCs of anger. And the anger you're experiencing is existential anger. And it, there is an existential anger because the fact of the matter is it's all meaningless. And yet the only meaning there is is the meaning that you put on things. Yeah. So what, are, what story are we making up about what's happening to us? Is it a, a story? It sounds to me like you're making up a story which is kind of a cramped story that somehow nature has betrayed you. And I'm suggesting that you expand that story and say, am I ready to move in to the crowning decades of my life as a magnificent old woman? It's not a life crisis. It's the movement from maiden to mother and mother to crone. Mm Mm-hmm. Men don't do it, so they denigrate it. <laughs> yeah. What can you know, we read, some, read Leslie Kenton's Passage to Power. You know, start, you know, look at Lisa LaVarts, Goddess on Earth books. You know, you'll see some old women as incredible goddesses. Right? Start to find the story of who you are as an aging woman, as a woman who's older. The maiden's color is white. She does not bleed. She can't create anything, so her color is white, the color of nothing. The mother's color is red. She bleeds, and from that blood we can create. She bleeds and she does not die. The mother's color is red. The crone's color is black, the deep and rich soil. 
the fertility of all things, ideas. We no longer give birth to children because we hold the deeper source. Mm-hmm. Black, the earth, yeah. Earth imagery and space. Right. The crone's color is black. The giver of all. Space is, space is black. The earth is black. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that helps. <laughs> yeah. It, that's um, that's going to be a very powerful thing to explore. How can you break the circuit between your mind wanting to torture itself and somatize in an area? How do you break the circuit? Because a circuit's been established now where if I have any negative thought, it goes right to the breast, and then I get the splotches and the spider veins and all that. What's a negative thought? Mm -hmm. What's a negative thought? I don't Um, understand. Like, oh, if like you anything like sadness about somebody else, like a motorist cuts you off and you think, uh, you burn in hell? Is that what you mean by negative thought? Um, the ones that have deep roots, like people that I'm angry at in my family, the reproductive thing, maybe, as you said, facing being an older woman in a misogynistic society or a neighbor who's a jerk or whatever. You never know, but usually it's like the deeper issues, the ones that really go down. So if you're really talking about, about people and people that you have resentments about. There is a cure. You will not like it. (laughs) Okay. If you do it, it is a complete cure. I have never known this to fail. But many people won't do it because it. They say you must be kidding. I'm not going to do that. And I say I understand. I do. You're not supposed to like it. So here's what you do: the person that you resent, the person that you dislike, you're going to put them on a throne. And every time you think of them, you're going to bring them a gift. You're going to bring them fruit. You're going to bring them music. You're going to bring them gems. You're going to bring them flowers. You're going to bring them... Every time you think about that, you're going to bring them a gift. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because let me ask you, who is living in your head? <laughs> you. Uh, everyone. No one else is living in your head. Only you are in your head. It is you, 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 and you. And it really doesn't matter if you have bad thoughts about somebody because they are not getting them. Mm-hmm. But it okay. sure matters to your head because you're getting them. Mm-hmm. So when you think okay. about that person, you give them beautiful gifts. Guess what? Your whole headspace improves a lot, doesn't it? I'll try it. I usually try to nullify that person by not thinking about them or by cutting them off. Doesn't work. (laughs) Doesn't work. Again, I know it's difficult. I know that it's unpleasant to take someone you don't like. I'd love to tell the story of a, a past apprentice who called up and she was just beside herself because she was working for this woman in her garden. And the woman asked her to plant her broccoli plants 18 inches apart. And she planted them, and the woman came out with a ruler, and she tore up any that weren't 18 inches apart. And, you know, she just wanted to stomp her. And she called me up, and she said, what should I do? Should I quit? I said, no. 
Now, you put her on a throne, and every time you think about her, instead of thinking, you think, here's a gift. And you think about the most beautiful things. What can you give her? Do you like roses? Right. What kind of flowers do you like? Right. And every time you have to give her a new gift. And she said, I don't know if I want to do that. I said, I understand. Two weeks later, she called me up. She said, well, I did it. And guess what? She asked me to be a partner in the business this morning. <laughs> yeah. I can see that change in the energy, though. There will be a different feeling in your body, even if you were, like, laughing. There's going to be a different feeling in you because you're the one who's living with this, not them, you. You change it for you. Will it have an effect on them? It usually does, but you're doing it for you. So that you are in a, a better headspace. If it's something, if you know, if that negative thought is something horrible, like yes, you know, when Francis burned my barn down, certainly numerous times throughout the day, this image would come to my mind of the terror of the animals as they burned to death, and it could just knock me off my feet. You know, it was just so awful. And what I did was, as that thought started to emerge. I chose the color, and the color I chose for this was green, and I started saying to myself, green, 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 and I would focus my eyes on green, and I would say green, and I would look at green, and all that I would allow in my mind was green. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was nothing I could do about that. It wasn't an individual person. The deed was already done. But I could not traumatize myself over and over again about it. I could choose to step aside from that trauma and give myself the healing color green. And that works very well because it's extremely simple. It takes very little thought process. You choose your color. And then when that uncomfortable or terrifying um, or self-abasing thought comes up. You simply replace it with the color. You just don't, you don't say, I'm not going to think this. You say green or red or orange or yellow or blue or purple or whatever color you've chosen, and that's all you do is say that color and look at that color. Would this also apply if you're feeling angry or depressed over an abstraction like the government or the current administration or aging or misogyny in society, something like that? Anger, anger is a reason to act. Find one thing that you're really angry about and do something about it. Mm-hmm. Okay, action. Action. Anger is for action. Okay. All right? Yeah. You're doing great. You are not harming yourself. You are not somatizing. You're okay. And I'd like to hear back from you in a little while and see how things are going if you do me that favor. I will, absolutely. Thank you so much. It's good to talk about it. Thank you. It is, isn't it? It's always good to talk about it. (laughs) Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. The next caller is coming from the 818 area code. Hello? Hello. Hi, Susan. 
I just want to thank you for your wonderful new book. <laughs> you nailed it. It's so good. I am so happy with it. Oh, you should be. It's fantastic. And then there's the one page with the herbs where it tells you this does that and this does that. And here's the problem with your book. I took it to work, and I, I luckily in Sharpie wrote my name on it, but I don't know who has it now. It's getting passed around work. And Does anybody know who has my book? Because I didn't finish reading it. I just want to let you know that everybody's passing around work, and I'm like, just go and buy it. Can somebody give me back my book, please? <laughs> yes, we're getting orders from people who say, okay, now I have to get more because people won't let me look at my copies. That's what's happening. No, I don't even know where I go in my room, and it's like, where? who has my book, and nobody knows. And luckily, I put my name on Sharpie on the outside, and I have to buy another copy. That's okay. If somebody keeps it, that means they really need it. And so I just wanted to tell you that. I just, oh, I'm so happy with it. And then I, I wanted, I did have one question tonight, two questions. Okay. And I did want to say the first caller, my heart goes out to that woman. I send positive vibes to her, your very first caller, and she calls in quite a bit. And I'm always sending her like positive, positive vibes, positive vibes, positive vibes, because somebody's got to do that, because we need to do that to heal each other. And then. And then just absolutely wonderful. And then I always forget what I'm supposed to be calling about. So I'm going to call about something really simple. So we have on our property, I'm in a condominium, and there's oranges that are small. They're very small and very sour. And then the gardeners just throw them in the trash. And I don't like that. So I'm trying to do something with these. I'm making laundry detergent out of them because they take the sweat smell out. And then I'm also boiling the peels because I read that the peels were had some really good, it's not polyphenols, it's something with a big name. And, and what I wanted to ask you is if I freeze some of this, because we got cut off in another conversation, I, you started to say freezing juices destroys vitamin C and B, and then, then the phone cut off, and I didn't get to finish that. Okay. Um, B vitamins gradually dissipate. Under freezing mm-hmm. temperatures, it's said that meat that's been frozen for more than three months has far less B vitamins, and meat is a good source uh, of vitamins. Um, okay. In general, free- freezing does preserve things. Mm-hmm. I find that a lot of people tend to use their freezer, you know, like it's um, um, some, you know, perpetual seed storage that you put it in there, and, you know, 40 years <laughs> later, you take it out. <laughs> so I'm uh, for more active use. Of what's in there. Orange peels are incredibly antibacterial. If you throw them in your compost, you will see they won't compost. They're so antibacterial. The compost bacteria can't get into them. Oh. Um, they're actually, it's actually quite a problem um, in the areas that makes a lot of orange juice as to how to get rid of the orange peels because it's very difficult to get them to break down. And I was having a kind of secret smile. Because many years ago at a big herb conference, the herbalists were hanging out and playing herbal trivia. And I was partners with Brigitte Mars. And to be seeing you this summer, Brigitte, looking oh, forward to it. And wonderful. we were doing pretty good. As a matter of fact, we were headed toward winning. And then the question came to us, <laughs> um, what essential oil 
is the world's largest selling essential oil. And Brigitte immediately answered lavender. Okay. And I certainly didn't argue with her, but the answer was orange. Really? The essential oil of orange outsells lavender by a big margin. And it's, yes, as you say, it's not used in homes. It's used in industries. Well, it makes it a cuts great through almost fluid. any smell. Okay. Well, is it a good idea for me to make orange peel tea? I'm trying if not you to needed to get rid of an infection, but I wouldn't just drink it on a daily basis. Okay. Okay. Okay, I'm going to study that a little bit more. I just I just don't I just don't like the gardeners seeing them just throw all these oranges in the dumpster. So I'm making laundry detergent out of it. It works fantastic. You put the peel. Doesn't in. it though? It's fabulous. And how are you making oh, laundry fabulous. detergent? You're just squeezing the oranges into your washing machine. <laughs> well, I'm squeezing the oranges and I'm throwing the whole peel in. And then yes, you have to take the peels out of the laundry or they end up in the dryer. But so see, do you, so when when you wash your clothes, you throw in. The peels from a squeezed orange, two squeezed yeah. oranges? And some squeezed, they're very sour, so there's not a lot of sugar. Yes, I'll pour in like a half a cup of the squeezed juice plus six peels, that kind of turned, torn in half, and I'll throw that in. And it's amazing. If your clothes smell like sweat, which I work in construction, so I smell horrible, uh, it takes it right out. It's amazing. And are you also using any kind of soap? No. No, just well, the I'm orange juice and the orange peels. That is fabulous. Thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, well, I don't know. I'm still experimenting. Okay. And um, it's working. It's Because wor- it's I spent $30 on Amazon for something that said, this will take the sweat smell out. And I looked at the label, and it said, this was $30, and then it spilled. And I'm like, oh, shit. And um, it, it was all citrus. And I'm like, okay, well, we have all these orange peels that just go in the dumpster. The gardeners just take them all, all these oranges, and put them in the dumpster because they're small California oranges that are in a condominium, and they're not the genetically modified super sweet, and nobody eats them because you can't. There are no genetically modified oranges. Really? Really. Okay, well, these are really small, and they're not sweet. It's almost like they're lemons. But they make great laundry detergent. The citrus family Mm -hmm. is one of those families, like the dog family. You don't have to genetically modify a dog to get a Labrapoodle. (laughs) They crossbreed very, very, very easily and readily, and so it is with the citruses. So you can get... I mean, in Costa Rica, all the lemons are bright green. But wow. When you cut it open, it does not smell or taste like a lime. It smells and tastes like a lemon. But it's totally ripe when it's bright green, right? So the, there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands wow. of kinds of citrus fruits, and the smaller and more bitter they are, the closer they are to the original wild ones. Okay, so that's what we have is we have the wild ones right here, and nobody uses them, and I just don't like to see this going to waste, so I'm making laundry detergent, and it's working really well. Yay, that is so fabulous. Thank you for sharing that. 
Yes, and then can I ask you one more question? So sure. rosemary, I found a huge patch of rosemary, and I'm making rosemary tea because whatever I can, you know, get locally. And then you said something about the oils and something fragrant. Don't boil it too much. So rosemary, I, I'm drying it. I find any, that plant, any plant that has a strong smell like rosemary mm-hmm. is a plant that we usually use as a seasoning. Okay, so don't make okay, it, oiling tea out the, of it? The, uh, the volatile oils in there, when you brew them up, can mm-hmm. be difficult for your liver and your kidneys. Oh, the occasional cup of rosemary tea from a sprig of fresh rosemary brewed for two minutes is not going to be a problem. Okay, two minutes. But a tea, right? We never mm-hmm. make fusion from a plant that has a strong smell. Many okay. people have mistakenly made a chamomile infusion. They make a pot of chamomile tea. They don't drink it all. It sits overnight. And the next morning they open the lid and look and they see a oil slick oil, on the surface, yeah. right? Those yes, are the right. volatile oils I'm talking about that are extracted in long brewing that are difficult for your kidneys and your liver to deal with. Okay. That was my question right there. You just answered it. Okay. So I just the short to... brewing with the fresh herb works best. They are volatile. Mm-hmm. They're held outside. You'll get the aroma and the flavor. Um in that brief brewing, and with the dried, mm-hmm. it works wonderfully as a seasoning for food. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, wonderful. Just a great flavor. Oh. And, of course, rosemary contains substances that are also antibacterial. And so rosemary has been used as an antibacterial aid. Drink a cup of rosemary tea if you feel a cold coming on, for instance. Drink a cup of rosemary okay. tea if you have an upset tummy. It's in the mint family. So all of these things work. It's a wonderful oh, herb. Right. I'll tell you what I love doing with rosemary, fresh rosemary, is making vinegar of it. Ooh. Ooh, now I'm excited. Rosemary vinegar is fabulous. Supply. And if you drop a clove or two of garlic in there and you've got rosemary, garlic, vinegar, oh, be still your heart. <laughs> oh, now I'm excited. I'm so excited. Okay. Oh, my gosh. This is exciting. I, I love just coming home and making all these concoctions. It's just so wonderful. And I listen to you, and it's just you've just changed my whole life in the last five years since you started your podcasts. <laughs> Thank you. You changed your life. I just provided some impetus. Well, no. You, well, I don't know, because I think you're, and you're changing my daughter's life, and this is wonderful. Of course, that's hard because she's young. But that's okay. She's getting there. She actually absorbs everything, but won't won't admit to it for about four months. <laughs> <laughs> Not unusual at all. Exactly. All right, Susan. Thank you. I'll let you get to the next caller. And thank you. You just answered my questions on how to use these herbs that are. I don't want them to go to waste. I'm so or glad. Whatever. How perfect. Green blessings. Thanks for your call. Yes, and try the detergent. It works really good. I'm gonna. <laughs> All right, love you. All right. Okay, green blessings. Blessings. Good night. The next caller is coming from the two zero six area code. 
Hi. Hi. Janice. Hi. <laughs> oh, it's great um, to talk to you. I've had your menopausal years book for so long, and it's just been a great companion. But I loaned out my Down There book, and um, I'm calling about um, constipation and spasms and um, uh, and like herpes pain, which is all kind of come together this Ooh, week for Oh, me. oh, it sounds like a perfect storm of ouch. Yes, it totally yeah. has been. Okay, well, um, let's, let's start with constipation. Constipation is um, technically not a problem of any kind. No one has ever died of constipation. There are no diseases caused by constipation. Um, so really what we're talking about is maybe discomfort. Right. And, you know, in medical lingo, constipation is fewer than two bowel movements a week. Right. So very few people who say they're constipated really are constipated. Now, I had an apprentice who came in here and said she was constipated. And I said, well, how often, often do you have a bowel movement? And she said, oh, I don't know, maybe 10 times a year. Mm. <laughs> and I said, okay, I'm going to have to say that's constipated. <laughs> that's pretty phenomenal. Yeah. She said, what should I do? I said, well, actually, you don't have to do anything at all. Because you're here as an apprentice, and apprentices agree that they will eat what I feed them and drink what I give them to drink, that they're not going to go to the store and buy other things. And I said, so you're going to be eating the food that I provide, and you're going to be drinking nourishing herbal infusions and nothing else. And it was less than a week when she came to Talking Stick and said, I had a bowel movement today. (laughs) And then the next day she said, I had a bowel movement today. And the next day she said it. And the fourth day she said, I'm not telling you anymore. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I I think my thing was I I just had some hard stools and then I was pushing and then that like, and then it was, then that activated nerves and herpes sores showed up. And so then it was too hard to push. So then I was restricting and then now I've I took some acyclovir. The herpes nerve pain has gone down a little bit. And I've hypericum like, oil hmm. on the place and hypericum tincture internally works much much better than acyclovir. I've got um, some St. John's Wort tincture, and I was wondering how much I could take um, because you can take as much as a dropperful every fifteen minutes if you need to. Probably since you've already taken an antiviral, a dropper full every two or three hours would be enough. Okay. Because it, it was the one thing that helped, like the spasming feeling. Um, yeah. The whole body just It's relaxed. actually an antiviral. It actually can kill that virus. Wow. A cyclovir okay. can. Yeah. I think all it does is shorten... That's all it um, does, whereas the hypericum perforatum really gets in there. Okay. Yeah, so the well, oil I, ex- I can feel free to go. Internally, yeah. you can apply the oil again and again. You can take the tincture again and again, but any amount. I have had some 
situations in which perhaps I wasn't clear enough. Because I always say hypericum oil. And I think I'm being very specific. But I had um, an acquaintance, and she went out to buy hypericum oil. And they didn't have hypericum oil, but they had hypericum salve with beeswax. And she had herpes across her ribs, and it was a blistered herpes. And when she put the Mm. beeswax ointment on it, it broke the blisters and caused a lot of bleeding. Mm. So I am saying oil. Okay. Not a salve. The actual oil itself that you can pour in your hand and not rub, but just pat on, right? Okay. Yeah. that skin is in a very, wherever you have the herpes, that skin's in a very sensitive state. And you don't want to be rubbing on it. Just pat the oil on. Be very kind to yourself. Okay. That sounds like a good idea. Right. Um, so then I have the sort of, so then I'm getting these spasms that say uh, you should push. You should, it might be time to poop, but all I'm getting for this week has been just sort of a bit of diarrhea kind of light. But now you I've up, decided not. Have you upped your yogurt intake in the face of this? I have not. That's always a good first solution is to say eat more yogurt. Applesauce, of course, is one of the great healers of the gut, and it goes both ways. If you have diarrhea and you eat applesauce, you don't have diarrhea. If you are constipated and you eat applesauce, you don't have constipation. <laughs> so it really does okay. whatever your gut needs. And, of course, Slippery Elm, my my beloved Slippery Elm, especially mixed with honey and slowly dissolved in the mouth, coats the gut and helps to ease it and to ease off spasms in the gut. And mm-hmm. just this past year in working with someone um, who's having really serious gut issues and doing my Healthy Life radio show um, and this year, this past year, 2019, on Healthy Life was devoted to fruit and I got to banana and it turned out that banana was the specific for spasms in the gut. <laughs> but it has to be green banana. Oh, okay. And she started eating green banana, and she said it was a miracle. Wow. Hmm. No one has, I've never heard of that before, so. Um, what about, like, something like. I suspect like, it's the starch, right? In the apple, it's the pectin, which is a binding agent. In the slippery elm, there's a mucilage, which is a binding agent. In the green banana, right, a a green banana is like 90% starch and 10% sugar, and a ripe banana is 90% sugar and 10% starch. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. I can usually find green bananas. (laughs) Usually pretty easy. Yeah. So I was going to ask about whether I would want to try cramp bark, um, if that would help the sort of muscle spasms. Or is St. John's wort kind of going to handle 
St. Joan's Wort going to handle everything? It might. I don't know that the cramps you're talking about are muscular cramps. Right. Right? They may not be. So I would lean more toward something like motherwort hmm. or any other thing in the mint family because they are renowned for easing cramping in the guts, right? Okay. Yeah. I have motherwort. So. Yay, motherwort. Yes. <laughs> Love that. Okay. Oh, that seems like I've got a lot to work with here. I think so. I think you find something or things that are going to work for you. I I can't wait to get some of the slippery elm because that's um I know that's really good. So but okay. Well, thank you very much. It's been uh so great to just connect with um, Thank you for calling really and good advice. That's what's going on with you. We appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Have a great night. Good night. Green blessings. The next caller is coming from the 512 area code. And there's this is one of three callers that are left in the queue, Susan, with about 13 minutes to go. And we have about... Okay, good. Yeah, we have about 13 minutes before the guest arrives. Okay, good. Okay. Hello? Hello? Hi. Am I connected? We are. Okay. Um, I was calling because uh, I have a seven-month-old baby, and um, she was born at 11 pounds. She was a big baby, and she lost... um, probably about a pound or so of weight directly after the birth, which the uh, midwives, you know, didn't think was um, strange or anything. Totally normal. uh, Yeah, yeah. So, um, and she's my second really large baby. So just a tiny bit of history. I had an 11.7 pound baby two years prior to that, and everybody thought it was, gestational diabetes that had been missed, but then this pregnancy, I um, meticulously watched my sugar, and there was no signs of diabetes, and I still had this giant baby, and nobody uh, suspected it either. It was kind of interesting. Like, I actually went in for sonograms all the way up until the end and everything, and, and the midwife was, you know, obviously, like, feeling around and stuff, and nobody, I mean, they actually thought she would be quite small. And then, you know, she came out at 11 pounds. So um, the issue that I'm having now, though, is um, she, uh, well, I went to a doctor today because uh, we were all getting sort of concerned about her weight. She, uh, obviously, with the other baby and with her, we weren't really trying to double the birth weight like you would with a smaller baby because it just wasn't happening. She kind of plateaued at about 10 pounds a couple weeks after birth. And then um, 
went up to about 11 and then she's just slowly, slowly, slowly gained little bits by little bits. And she's still only a little over 12 pounds and uh, she's seven months. months, which kind of, right. Oh, that's very underweight for eight months. Right. Yeah. And so when we went to the doctor, uh, she's been exclusively breastfed and I, I had, you know, I have the nourishing traditions, book of baby and child care and um I had made um the formula for my other child and um I did make it for her and we used it a couple of times but she's just she was so happy and she wasn't giving any signs of being hungry at all or anything. I mean she has she never fusses after she eats and she just seems so alert and happy and everything. It was just over the last couple of months that I started to get really concerned because she just was not picking up. It just wasn't happening, wasn't happening, wasn't happening. And so finally we took her in and um, they... Uh, Growing? Is she larger? Is she larger? I mean, she, not... Uh, yeah, she has grown. It's just been very slow. She's probably about the size of like a... I don't know. I mean, she looks more like a five-month-old than a seven-month-old, I guess, you know. Um, So, yeah, she definitely, uh, she's out of most of her, like, three- to six-month clothes. You know, she's in, like, the six- to nine-month clothes. And, um, you know, the other child, uh, my other, who is now two-and-a-half years old, she um, got pretty lean as well, like towards, um, you know, the 10 month mark, I guess, seven to 10 months. So I was thinking, well, maybe it's the same thing, but we, you know, I finally just started getting super worried and was losing sleep because I was really worried. And I have been supplementing her now with the, um, formula that I make. And I've been, obviously I also have introduced food at this point too. So she's eating, um, solid foods that I make for her. Um, and I mean, I feel like time just kind of passed by kind of quickly there. It's not like I was, uh, unaware that she was smaller, but I just, I guess I kept thinking that since she was so happy and everything, it was, she was probably okay. I checked all her milestones in terms of like cognitive and everything. Like everything is, she's doing everything normally. She's rolling back and forth. She's babbling she's doing all the things that she's supposed to do except for she's not really bearing weight on her legs or um uh uh, sitting up unassisted however my other child did not sit up unassisted on her own until she was 10 months Um, and she actually didn't get her first tooth until she was 10 months either which honestly i hadn't really even paid a whole lot of attention to other than the fact that I went back and looked at some photographs and looked at the dates and stuff and realized that she was 10 months when she first set up because I put together a little, you know, thing, a picture of her sitting up and, you know, celebrated that she had set up uh, for the first time. And she's uh, very cognitively there and everything, but obviously we're all concerned about her development now and everything. And we went to a doctor and, Um, they, you know, she was very concerned and she diagnosed her with failure to thrive and, uh, just, you know, based on the chart, we didn't really have an evaluation with her because, um, 
she said she really didn't have time for a longer appointment like that. It was sort of just like an acute appointment where we went in and um and so I guess my question is just um I mean obviously you've already confirmed that that's very underweight for a seven month old. Uh I'm just sort of curious what your thoughts are on the best course of action now or what you know what you think is if there's anything that you would recommend aside from um supplementing with the uh formula that i make well first i would like to react to this diagnosis mm-hmm. because when we started diagnosis with the word failure then you're going to feel like a failure. Yeah. And you're going to think that your child is a failure. And I don't think that that's healthy. Mm-hmm. So I do not like the diagnosis failure to thrive. Um, not only that, from what you say, this child is thriving. Mhm. There is no failure that she's experiencing. No, except that she has failed to gain the amount of weight that we would all consider correct. Mhm. This is her only failing. So you have been very thorough and it, you know, noted, you know, all of, you said, of her milestones and so on and that she is happy and so on. Are we creating a problem here by diagnosing her with failure to thrive or um, is this her way of being? I don't know. Yes, it's a good idea if a child has been exclusively breastfed and is underweight to start introducing other foods. Mm-hmm. Excellent idea. Um, are you drinking nourishing herbal infusions? Yes. She can drink nourishing herbal infusions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just started, um, I was kind of giving them to her with a little, like with a straw, I would just sort of, you know, plug the end of the straw and give her a little bit here and there, but um, I just put some in like a little syringe the other night and started just kind of um, administering it that way, but I, I, yeah, I can also put it into a bottle if she'll take it. She's not a huge fan of the bottle, uh, to be honest, but she has taken... At eight- she should be able to handle a sippy cup. Yeah, that's the other thing um, that I could try, actually. Yeah, she she definitely reaches for the spoon to put it in her mouth. Yeah. Um, so, and you know yeah, the I cup I'm talking about. It's a closed cup, and it has a little, like, thing that you suck on. Mm-hmm. Not a straw, yeah. it's, you know, and it's silicon, so it's nice nice to the gut. Yeah, we actually have one just like that. Yes, I can definitely start seeing if yeah, can that's a good way to offer them infusion because then they can pick it up themselves and and play around with it. Mm-hmm. I'm always of both minds. 
and one, you know, is to question and say, is there something going on here that needs attention? And the other mind is, and let's not create a problem. Right. Yeah. I mean, when we walked away from the appointment, um, my husband had a really, really bad reaction and he was, uh, uh, you know, I had a conversation with the doctor and she wanted me to use the, um, oh, just like Infamil or something like that. You know, she was suggesting that because she's not familiar with the homemade formula. Right. But, um, and we do have a pediatrician in town that is familiar with it, but they don't accept insurance. Um, they just do out-of-pocket pay and my husband wanted you know, he really wants to try and use the insurance. Um, so we were trying to decide how to kind of navigate that. She uh, seems kind of open to, uh, you know, reading about it. She asked me to just send her information on it. And um, my only concern, I guess, is just because they treat to the number so specifically is that we sort of get um, – well, you know, it would just become this, like, ongoing thing where then she's getting lots of intervention and stuff. Um, and they wanted, you know, she suggested that I go and ta- and test my breast milk, uh, the caloric value of my breast milk, and then, um, you know, get the baby's blood taken uh, because, I guess, like, certain um organs like the liver and um she mentioned something else uh you know they wanted to test the levels um of these certain properties you know I, I don't know exactly what um but she wanted to do some blood tests on the baby and then I was just sort of um you know just not sure uh if I wanted to open that Pandora's box with them but um I do want to make sure that she's okay, you know, because it ha- it was really alarming to realize how low on the chart she was, too. I was diagnosed with failure to thrive because I failed to gain weight during my first year on the planet. And I turned out to be a large-ish person. Mm-hmm. What we need to differentiate is between a situation in which a baby is in a deprived environment in which the mother herself is getting an inadequate diet and is exclusively breastfeeding because there isn't any other food for the infant. Mm -hmm. And the situation that I believe you represent, and I could be wrong, in which the mother is getting an excellent diet, is well-nourished, and um, that the baby, for whatever reason, is not gaining weight rapidly, but in all other respects appears healthy. Yes, yeah, I would say that that's definitely correct. So that leans me more to the side of let's not make a problem if there isn't one. Mm-hmm. I certainly, it, you know, can't see that you will gain anything from um, having your breast milk tested. 
This is the point at which this baby would start becoming a more independent eater anyhow, even if you continue right. to nurse for another year or two or however long. Mm-hmm. More and more of this child's nourishment should be coming from other places. That's as it should be. It's not a response to her weight. It's, yeah, that's what happens as our babies grow. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any specific, just the nourishing herbal infusions? I mean, um, would you just suggest the same ones that I drink? Just I tend to Absolutely, absolutely. and I will I, tell you, and in our last few seconds together, when I was mm-hmm. a nursing mom in New York City, and I would just sit on a park bench and nurse, and yes, many times I got rousted out by the cops. But many times also older women would come and sit next to me and talk to me about nursing because they didn't see other women nursing. So it was 1966. 1967 was the year the least women in the United States breastfed. And one wonderful old crone came and sat down next to me, and she said, Dear, if you have any problem at all with you or the babe, just drink yourself a good German beer. <laughs> yeah. So if you need an Rx, and our time is at an end together, we need to welcome Lisa Lavart to the show. Take that Crohn's advice and get yourself a beer that you really like, okay? Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Green blessings. Okay, green blessings. Bye. Lisa Lavart is an artist photographer based in Nyack, New York. She operates in the intersection between fine art and social engagement. Ms. Lavart has been creating photographic portraits and multimedia installations of women embodying poetic myths for almost 20 years. Her work has been shown in numerous galleries and public venues and is in the collection of the 9-11 Memorial Museum in New York City. A monograph of Lavart's work, Goddess on Earth, Portraits of the Divine Feminine, won a gold Nautilus Book Award and was named one of the 100 best new women's spirituality books by the California Institute of Integral Studies in 2018. Lavart is close to completing an oracle deck with new portraits, and she is passionate about her latest project, this is Storekeepers, but I think it's Storykeepers, Women of the Indigenous World, a series of portraits of Indigenous women embodying their ancestral stories. In fact, uh, at the beginning of the show, Lisa, I was telling them about seeing the movie that your uh, husband had made of you with these women and how moved I was and how amazing it is. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you, Susan. I'm so glad to be here. And I'm Just, so glad I listened to your earlier. Um, I've been listening to the whole show. It's fantastic, and what a wonderful thing you're doing. It's great. So I was telling them that um, I have always admired your work from my first contact with it. Um, just the other day, I was going through some old things, and it was this old postcard I got from you with daisies on it. Um, it, I, I would have, I would have guessed it was 25 years old, so, but, but you say you've only been doing this work for 20 years. So, okay, maybe it was 20 years old, I, but I think it's older. 
I think it is too, you know. And yeah. um, I, you know, Linda Montano just publicly celebrated a, a birthday, and uh, the two of you, you know, uh, I hold with equal respect because the two of you are just so out there about what it is to be a woman and how it is that we embody women, and yet you're at opposite ends of the spectrum. I don't know her work. She is the wild woman. She just does totally crazy things. Mm-hmm. Like she decided to do a chakra piece in which for one year she wore only one color. Her house inside and out was painted that color. Her dog had a uh. color that color. And she wore a little sound generator that generated the sound of that color. Oh, wonderful. She is a perform. She's living a performance piece. Yeah. Talk about the intersection between <laughs> fine art and social engagement. Yep. 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 She is living. So you right. So you are both like so there, but you are in a way, as I'm, you know, saying that she's a wild woman. You are the careful woman. Oh. The, you are the, the woman who looks into the insides of things, and you're not going to show it to us until you understand it. That's right. Thank you. Yes, I I think all of my work is really to 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 firm is from me to understand and to get to the uh to, to when something uh fascinates me and I don't know anything about it, I want to go deep into it. I want to deep dive into it. And yeah, I don't show it. It's not out there until I really understand it. Exactly. I think about you and the the incredible goddess on earth book and your absolute steadfastness in that that was going to be a book right and i remember saying well you know you could sell it as a video it's a great video and you're like it's a book and when you finally got <laughs> and what everything that was needed to make it a book you, you went to italy yourself to oversee the printing yes this was uh yeah i, I produced the book myself um, with a limited run, and uh, I had a vision for it that would be uh, an art book, an artist-made book. And yeah, I went to an atelier in Italy, in Verona, Italy, and uh, you've seen it. It's a beautiful book. It was sold in the Rubin Museum and several museums. I'm very, very proud. It, it is exactly, um, it is what I envisioned and wanted to bring out into the world. Yes, you had that vision. You kept to the vision. Um, you did not let, you know, circumstances make you depart from the vision. And yeah. I yeah. really honor that. And so what I saw was that you got interested in the goddess. You got interested in how do women exemplify the goddess. You went and you asked women, you know, what goddess are you? And as you moved from there, as um, you moved into non-European representations of the goddess, mm-hmm. and n- not necessarily pretty representations of the goddess, the goddess opened herself up to you in amazing ways, which has led you to explore her expression in indigenous cultures. Yes, yes. Well, it's... Um... Well, making the book took uh, over 10 years, and through during that time of traveling around both the United States and Europe at uh, attending a lot of goddess conferences 
and photographing um, the women there. Uh, there was an overlap between the goddess world and the indigenous world. And so already from that, I was, um, my world was expanding. And when the book came out, I did start to think, uh, it's a little embarrassing to say, I live in uh, the Hudson Valley, and I said, well, who are the indigenous women here? You know, who, who's right here <laughs> next to me? And I didn't know. And there, there lies the other, another unknown to me. And I was like, whoa, how, how do I not know this? And how do I not know more about this? And like you said, then I had to d- deep dive into that. And I'm in that process. But um, I, at first, the, first, it started by investigating who are the indigenous people who live in the Hudson Valley, in the New York, New Jersey area, the Philadelphia area, New York City area. And uh, find out that there's tribal land 10 miles, six miles from my home. And uh, it, that began another whole path that has changed, uh, changed my life incredibly. And it just keeps going. <laughs> and it just keeps going. Yes, it, it does. It just keeps going. So in addition to doing this work with the Native women, you're also working on an oracle deck. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, I'm kind of juggling a couple of uh, projects, but the Oracle deck started, um, I've always loved Oracle decks, and um, to me, they're uh, a beautiful way just to, again, you know, reflect internally on a question that needs answering, personal. So I thought, well, you know, what a nice way to, uh, you, you know, sort of pull together the images I've done since the book came out. And I started to work on it a couple of years ago and um, had sort of a stop for a while. My parents passed away and other things got in the way. And uh, But in the last year, picked it back up. And I'm very excited. It's turning, it's, it's shaping. It's, fi- it's found its shape around the... Um, the elements. So uh, the 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 um, the format of it is that it's uh, the 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 portraits fit into one of the elements: earth, air, fire, water, spirit. And what's quite unique about this is that when a woman pulls a card, there's the the women whose portraits, like in the book, the women write, and they write about their experience with that archetype and what it has meant to them and then what it would mean to women looking at the oracle deck so it's like the portraits and the women are all there to support the reader's journey and be there for them too it's like having your own support group in a deck of cards yeah kind of yeah yeah wow that sounds amazing so when you say that it's getting close it's um, well, there are forty portraits now. Um, uh, I've done a lot of. I've done the writing myself with this. Um, I'm writing the attributes of the goddess, um, an action the women can take. But then the women, the portraits, the women who have uh, were of the portraits uh, write their own perspective. And uh, so I pulled that together with the um, forty portraits, some of which are brand new in the last year. Um, and they're just um, really—it's qu- it's almost finished, not made, but the um, 
pulled together and um, looking for publishers, which there are some nice interests out there. So I'm, I am very positive about it, excited, excited when it sees the world, which it will. So probably a, probably a couple of years from being in our hands. No, I don't think that long, mm-hmm. but Good. maybe a year. Yeah, Good. yeah, I think a year. Mm-hmm. Great, Listen. and I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot wait. I'm so excited by it. Yeah, the women are amazing. There's such fascinating women in it, and uh, the the generosity of women and of their sharing their insights and their wisdom is uh, so remarkable and. I just find women amazing and so supportive for other women, and this is just an extension of that. So it's the women in the Oracle deck, the photographs in the Oracle deck, mm-hmm. are not photographs that are in Goddess on Earth or photographs from the Lenape Nation. It's a whole separate project. Yeah, um, it is definitely not all new after the book. Um, there are a few. There is a little crossover of uh, some of the indigenous and native women. Uh, a few of them will be uh, in, in the deck included. But, uh, but that's also then another whole project. The Lenape women um, is its own um, project. And the expansion of that, which, as you are right, is Story Keepers women of the indigenous world <laughs> that's uh, still, you know, being uh, just in its infancy. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's going to be a very, very exciting when that finally gets into our hands. Yeah. <clears throat> what do you mean about the intersection between fine art and social engagement? We talked about you and Linda Montano and different ways to do mm-hmm. that. But you're the one who says it, so what do you mean by it? Well, uh, what I mean is um, I love jumping into a community, whether it was uh, the goddess community, the feminist spirituality community, the uh, Ramapo Lenape community. Um, I, I, I love going into a community that I know nothing about and then seeing how even just one-on-one, myself with another woman, uh, that a change can, it's like, it's like a, you know, chemical reaction, a change can happen, alchemy. And then how does that have rippling effects that was one woman uh, starts to see herself as a goddess, as a uh, larger than life being, and uh, sees herself in, in exhibitions of my work where she's larger than life, she starts to feel that way. And then how does that uh, how does that change her relationship with her family, with her community, with her, uh, um, you know, the larger group at hand? So I see even my putting my toe in another community can make change. It's a ripple effect, and I love that. So I, I don't see myself as like an isolated artist working all alone just to express myself, which is all fine, you know, but I see myself as interacting with people and then seeing how that changes um, the outside world. Yes, yes. You started photographing women 
as the divine feminine 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And was that a conscious decision or did something kind of push you toward it? Did you just fall into it? What happened? Yeah. You know, I was thinking about, uh, with another woman uh, that you were talking about earlier uh, about this um, st- stages of our lives, of women's lives. And when your body is saying, you know, you're coming to the end of the mothering time and you're moving into the crone stage. And for myself personally, um, I was in my late 30s and 40s having many miscarriages and was not able to have a second child. And, again, it was like my body is failing me. And I began to feel like a failure. And so interesting to hear you talk so much about the language that doctors speak to you, you know, and how they label things. But, And I internalized that. But from that, Actually, I I went to a my first uh, a goddess conference um, where women gather. Do you remember that in Pennsylvania? Yes. And I had my cards read. I had a card reading, and going back to the cards, and uh, I said oh, I was crying. And will I have another baby? And the card reader said, No, but you should be photographing women as goddesses. <gasps> That's what she it's told what, you. Yes. It's true out of my mouth. It's true. <laughs> and I, I, I'm telling you, I did not know anything about it at that time. I was there as a lark. I was there to try to just heal. And I was crying, saying, I don't know what a goddess is. And she said, don't worry. The women will know. Oh, my gosh. That's the truth. It gives me and, goosebumps, Lisa. And, and then from there, uh, I... Uh, I went to a moon circle and I was invited to a moon circle. I had never been to one and the full moon is out. We're outside on a hilltop with the stars out and a bonfire going and a priestess leading the ceremony had asked everybody just to come dressed as a goddess, which I hadn't known because I was just, I didn't know anything. And then in the circle, you were to um, speak out the names of goddess archetypes, any goddesses. And I did not, I knew, of course, Artemis and Venus and Aphrodite, all the Greeks and Romans and uh, familiar with those. But then there were other names starting to come up, Inanna, Rishkagil, Kali probably. And I was like aghast that name after name after name was being spoken into the into the darkness of the night, and I did not know the names. And I went home and restarted researching, and and um, I was uh, started to get angry. Like, what is this world that I don't know? Again, it's another world. How is it that I don't know any of this, and that I felt it would have been kept hidden from me? How has this been buried, and I don't know my own uh, her story? And I. Kind of it all, it opened up doors, actually, from the pain of the uh, miscarriages, from the change of the body. It was like there's a door, and it's like step through that door. And life was changed. <laughs> so uh, the stages... you picked up your, So you picked up your camera, and you went out mm-hmm. into Nyack, the town you lived in, 
Mm-hmm. And you you asked a woman that you knew what goddess are you and photographed her? Well, first it started in that moon circle, and I started asking women there. I mean, they had already they were dre- they were they'd come to a moon circle in in absolutely looking glorious, and I was like, oh, oh, I get it. Oh, I'm supposed to photograph you and you and you. <laughs> and then from that, yes, from those uh, little pebbles in the water, ripples came, and it grew from the moon circle. It grew to my neighbors. It grew to my friends. And then I got brave enough to reach out further and reach out to people I admired who were doing things in the world, like you, Susan. Thank you so much. And uh, just on and on. It's um, been rippling. Yeah. And how great it was when you did say yes and we met and you gave me that feedback of uh, Baba Yaga. Yes. Yes. Was amazing. Just amazing. What a, a a wonderful. I for me, you know, here was an artist who was work I had admired from afar, who I was getting to meet and I was getting to um, talk about her art. What a what a gift. What a blessing. Mm. Uh, so it's so um, you know to be there at your land. And to stand, see, I learned from you about standing uh, in front, you know, I was afraid. (laughs) I was afraid, the fierceness. And, but for me to be there, that was my challenge. How can I be there with you and, uh, and absorb it and feel it and then turn it around and put it out there was uh, such a growth for me too meant so much yes yes and i uh, my belief is that it prepared the way in you to be with the indigenous women Mm, i i'm sure everything leads to the next thing yes absolutely and being on the land is so important yes that i think was is if i've learned um and the most important thing I think I've learned working with the Native women and the Indigenous women is it's all about the land and where you're from and the connection to the land and our connection to um, nature, not cutting off from it and being in it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I viscerally remember your land. Yes, it's very powerful land. Yeah. We were feel, you know, very honored that that we can caretake this land. Mm -hmm. You know, as an artist, you uh, have not chosen a really well-paying profession. (laughs) 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 Um, You know, but at least you don't have to have, you know, some very wealthy person whose politics you have to agree with to support you. We can all support you. So could you share with us, are there still copies of Goddess on Earth? Um, what other ways could we support you besides buying that book? What what can we do to Thank keep you. you going as an artist? Well, the book is fantastic because I made it myself. And um, uh, so um, that does support me. You know, that supports me going forward. 
financially, but also emotionally. You know, I, I, uh, and even just coming to exhibitions when I have exhibitions and talking to me and saying how much it means. Um, that's so meaningful to artists. Artists need that interaction. I certainly do. And um, because I believe in the community and what I'm doing, I want to hear that feedback. But the book uh, is very important. Yep. It's, um, there's still some. Um, and how can we get it? Yep, how do we at, Goddess uh, on Earth? What's the best place to get it? Goddessonearth.com is my website, but it's also at Amazon. So both ways. Uh, there are also some prints that I'm selling, which are available online as well. And um, I say in uh, I say in about a year they'll they'll if I have if there is a publisher um, which is looking good, um, I'd say about a year. If not, I'm going to do a Kickstarter campaign. So I hope people will follow me on Facebook and on Instagram. Um, you know, and that way I can and support it if I if I do have a Kickstarter, so you know, crowdsourcing, which I I will consider to do as well to get the work out there because it's getting there. It's gonna right, be there. and your last name is L E V A R T. Yep. Mm-hmm. If I if yep. I need to remember it, I think live art and then get you know get rid of kick the I out and put the the E that was at the end in the middle. Lev art. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you another way. Love okay. art. <laughs> Love art. I. That's great. That's a wonderful yeah. one. <laughs> or here's another way. Travel spelled backwards. <laughs> but a lot of them are. Uh, but you'll find me at uh, Goddess on Earth. Um, that's there's a there's on Facebook. There's a Facebook Goddess on Earth page, and and the other thing uh, about the women of the Ramapolanapi Nation, I wanted to talk about that for a little bit because what you saw was not um, finished yet, and now it is in uh, like almost uh, 99% finished. It has a new animated opening that tells the uh, a very quick story of who the Rapolinapi Nation is and where they're located and their history. Very short, in one minute. And it's a wonderful animation and an animation at the end. And also some images of the uh, an exhibition and the women looking at their own portraits in exhibition. So it's um, the, the movie is the documentary is fantastic and it's out now being considered for festivals. And there's a website for that too, which is women of the com. And you spell Ramapo, R A M A P O U G H. Lenape, L E N A P E. Lenape. Ooh, did I just spell that right? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. L E N A P E, Lenape. Yeah, that's it. Right. Right, so um, both of those are, you know, out, I'm out there on social media a lot and websites, and I hope people will, uh, if, it, if um, you join the mailing list for that, you would be able to see uh, screenings of it when it comes nearby, when it's um, being, you know, shown. Fantastic. Well, Lisa, I could talk with you on and on, but it's Blog Talk Show, and they slam the door on us at exactly 9.30, which means we've come to almost the last minute of our time together, and I do like to give this last minute to you. 
What do you want to leave in the hearts and the minds and the imaginations of everybody who's listening tonight? Mm, That we are all goddesses of all shapes and sizes. We are all way more powerful than we can imagine. And we are more powerful when we hold each other's hands and we create together beauty into this world. Thank you, Lisa Lavart. Thank you for being such a skilled weaver in our reweaving of the healing cloak of the ancients. Mm. And thank, thank you, you Rebecca, for, for helping me make herbal medicine people's medicine. Green blessings to everybody out there. And Happy Hearts Day. Remember, your anatomical heart does not look like a valentine. But if you go into the bathroom, shut the door, and look in a mirror, and use your fingers to spread those lips, you will see a perfect red heart. Happy Valentine's Day. Green blessings. Happy Valentine's Day. Good night.